0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. We hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. Pollinators, we know, provide a vital ecosystem service to the agricultural industry, but are we doing enough to help our pollinators and the wider biodiversity on farms across the country? Today, we're joined by Ruth Wilson, Farmland Pollinator Officer from the National Biodiversity Data Centre, working on the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, and Dr. Catherine Keena, Countryside Management Specialist with CHAGISC, and also a member of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan Steering Committee. Ruth and Catherine, you're very welcome to this morning's webinar. How are you, Mark? nice to be here. Great. Um, so, Catherine, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. You're going to help us with the questions later on, and and uh, some of the answers as well, hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. because we uh, we uh, this is a very topical area. And uh, so, Ruth, maybe you could just introduce yourself uh, to to our audience this morning and and uh, some background on yourself, maybe.
1: I'm the Farm and Pollinator Officer with the All Ireland Pollinator Plan, and that's implemented through the National Biodiversity Data Centre, and um, based out of Waterford. Um, and my role really um, is they realise that we realise how important farmland is for our pollinators and wider biodiversity. And um, so it's a very interesting role and just uh, to engage with farmers as much as possible. Um, I was previously a biodiversity officer with a local authority, um, but uh, I, I grew up on a farm. So um, that was really uh, what drew me into the post. So um
0: so you have a, a, a deep understanding of, of the, the cycles of what happens on, uh, at a farm level. Um, um,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And the early mornings, of course, as well. Um,
1: and the late evenings. <laughs> and the late
0: evenings, indeed. Um, so, so Ruth, um, if you could maybe share your presentation with us there, you're going to give us some practical uh, tips on, on, on what farmers can do on their farms to, uh, to improve uh, biodiversity.
1: Um so yes, thank you very much uh, for letting me speak this morning. Um and I was just going to outline um just give a wee outline about the all Ireland the All Ireland Pollinator Plan and um then just some simple actions or what to look out for on your farm that can help pollinators and wider biodiversity. Um, and just just to um thank uh, the Department of Agriculture who fund the the post um Uh, within the Biodiversity Data Centre and supporting the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. So just looking at Ireland and um, the wonderful biodiversity that we have, um, we've over 30,000 species living in uh, 117 habitats. So it is very biodiversity rich in Ireland. And um, it's it's, uh, wonderful if we can, you know, uh, help that biodiversity because it is in decline and that's a huge problem. Um, and we depend so much on it, um, so it's really working with nature um, to help it. Um, the pollinator plan has taken pollinators as um, an important element in biodiversity. Um, it's an easy an easy tool to let us understand, um, you know, the impact that we have on pollinators and wider biodiversity, and we can communicate that as a simple, clear message. Um, we can also monitor the changes and um, always protecting pollinators and it ha- um, it's good for biodiversity as well. And um, sometimes it can seem complex what we're talking about when we say to protect um, biodiversity but uh, it's really um just to break it down and make it you know as simple as possible. Just to uh, run through some of the benefits of biodiversity um, economy and wealth um, it's... Uh, in Ireland, you would know apples and oilseed rape as benefiting from the, the service of pollination, which is free, and um, that benefits us, our economy and wealth. For our general health and well-being, then we get a lovely wide variety of fruit and vegetables that are nice and plump and um, well-developed because of pollination, and um, because pollination happened. And then the our wild plants also benefit greatly um, from the service of pollination, and uh, that helps them become resilient. And also, we'll all be familiar with um, the lovely harvest at the end in the autumn that all biodiversity benefits from, fruits and seeds. Um, just to say a little bit about pollinators, uh, um, we have over 100 uh, bee species in Ireland. Some people may not be aware of that. Um, So we have one managed honeybee that lives in a a hive. Then we have our wild pollinators, which are the majority. Um, We have 21 bumblebees and 80 solitary bees. And um, unfortunately, our wild pollinators are, um, a third of our wild pollinators are threatened with extinction in Ireland. So they're not doing so well. Um, The honeybees are doing okay and there's more beekeepers. So they're they're actually doing okay in numbers. And we do a bumblebee monitoring um, project that has shown that decline. um, And it's sort of 4% year on year um, a decline. Um, Even common species like the common carder bee is now showing a a, a decline. um, And some of the rare bumblebees are showing severe decline. And this is really because um, a loss of um, semi-natural habitat. and, and uh, just a consequence of how we manage the rest of the lands, landscape. Um, so within the All Ireland Pollinator Plan, then um, you may be aware um, we had, there was the first plan was 2015 to 2020, um, and we're now on phase two, and that's 21 to 25. And um, the momentum built up in the first plan, um, it's just trying to push that forward and keep it going, um, and it's being supported. Um, by government, local communities, um, education authorities as well, so um, a really good momentum. Um, The first objective is uh, farmland, to make farmland more pollinator-friendly, and that's the team there. Um, Dr Una Fitzpatrick is the chair and manager of the pollinator plan, um, and myself as the farmland officer. And along the agriculture line, then we have an agribusiness advisor as well for the Businesses that are on board, and in in this new plan, um, we m- one of my roles is really a lot more direct engagement with farmers out on the ground, chatting to them and um, supplying information, directing them um, to get information um, and training as well, and develop more evidence based resources. Um, <clears throat> we'll also be doing uh, as part of the. The data centre, we do our annual farmland festival. And so that takes place in May and definitely one to look out for on social media. Um, And it's a lovely project to get engaged with, engage with and um, support. And it's really just to celebrate the lovely biodiversity, amazing biodiversity that is on farmland. And also the track changes. Um, The project started last year, a pollinator monitoring scheme um that will be monitoring um, uh, across Ireland how, how our pollinators are doing. I just mentioned a quick uh, an EIP project protecting farmland pollinators. Um, it's run out of the National Biodiversity Data Centre and it's looking at whole farm pollinator scoring um, results based, and results-based, uh, and there um, There's a good response um, and um, the officer sort of may come along later to chat to you. Um, But it's really how we can farm, as we farm, be more biodiversity and pollinator friendly, um, you know, not to impact on the the farm business. And there's going to be some lovely resources produced through this project. Um, We've already got that we're creating solitary bee sites on the farm, um, there's a lovely farmland hoverflies and farmland moths uh, posters. So watch out um, for the resources coming from this project. Just to say about our bumblebees, and um, this is our 21 bumblebees. Um, about eight of them may be more common, and the others are, are you know, just and they've retracted and are in just certain areas. But uh, are really fantastic. I mean, you know, you wouldn't be surprised. You'd be surprised at how many different types there are. Just to say a wee bit about the bumblebee life cycle. They come out, um, so this is a lovely time actually, to be keeping your eyes peeled for them now. Um, they're looking, they come out of hibernation. Uh, just, you know, there's been a few spotted already, so definitely a good time to keep an eye out. And um, anything that's flowering early, so willow and dandelion, And um, if you look around your farm yourself, you will see those just starting to come out, and that's where the pollinators will head. So they need food early, they need a nest site, then when that queen um, gets her food, she will be looking for a nest site to set up her nest for the year. Uh, she will put food in the nest and um, the young, then she will lay eggs and they will become um, the female workers and she will stay and keep laying eggs and the female workers then will be looking food. Um, after the cycle, um, there's just the the a fresh a fresh queen bumblebee will hibernate over the winter so she needs food at the end of the autumn um so late flowering um ivy knapweed anything like that is fantastic and then <clears throat> she'll find a safe place to hibernate this is our amazing 80 uh, different types of solitary bees uh, come in all shapes and sizes and um, once you start looking for them actually you you know you get your eye Um, Homed in, some can be quite small, but uh, fascinating um, little bees. And again, their life cycle—they come out early, um, and they come out at different times and have different food. um, uh, Different—you know—they'll go for different food. There's early ones are just feeding on willow, and then the ones just feeding on ivy. Um, So nature is all keyed in together. They'll need a nest site and um, some are cavity nesting. So you could supply um, a log um, and there's details on our website on how to do this um, through the EIP project. And uh, so that's the cavity nesting ones. And then there's a ground, most are ground nesting and um, that we diagram of the tunnel. And um, so she does a little, a little tunnel and puts um, an egg and a little parcel of food. In the tunnel, and um, they will. The young will stay there till the next till now, and they'll be thinking of coming out as it gets warmer. Just to say a wee bit about how far pollinators and um, travel, and that helps us understand really why we need to be flower rich across our landscape. And um, so, there's the bumblebee can go about a kilometre uh, from from the from the nest site foraging out. In general, go about a kilometer, and then the little solitary bee just goes a few hundred meters, and um, so it doesn't fly far. And a study has been done that if the um, if the solitary bee has to go further, it will reduce how well um, she can uh, produce and where you know have her little um, eggs with a food parcel. So it's very important. Also, just to say, one of the main things is that we need flower in our landscape from early spring to late autumn so um, you know you may think just get summer lots of flower but that early flower and that late flower is so important Um, and those are some of our lovely native species just at the bottom there that uh, with nature's timing they come out at different times of the year and just to mention that hoverflies we have over 180 hoverfly species um and they're very uh very varied and um you would see them around the farm and um, if you take a take a look uh not to compete now with the barn owl from last week the wonderful barn owl presentation from last week but um this little guy is the marmalade hoverfly just on that dandelion and um he's coined the farmer's friend in the insect world so that's his larva um I don't know, you can see it circled in red. And um, so he's an aphid muncher. Um, absolutely. The, the female will um, find the aphids and lay her eggs there. Um, so uh, the wonderful um, uh, predator control for, for the farmers. And the, oh, they're so varied, and some of them are very important in recycling organic matter as well. Then just to say our wonderful moths as well. They complement the daytime pollinators. Um, if you can think of honeysuckle being lovely and scented in the evening and um, so that's uh she's the honeysuckle is dependent on bringing in nighttime pollinators. Um, so we have they're complicated as well because they need um they may need a different uh, caterpillar food and then an um, um, nectar and pollen as an adult. Um, so we've got some lovely ones there. The caterpillar of the pebble prominent uh, feeds on willow poplar, and the lovely yellow swallowtail. Then it feeds on. You can see that being a real um, hedgerow species: blackthorn, hawthorn, goat willow, elder, ivy, and that lovely early thorn there again, very hedgerow, and um, blackthorn, hawthorn. I was just putting up the sweet six spot burnet moth to explain, and um, that stripy caterpillar will feed on the wee yellow plant which is bird's foot trefoil um, and it's stripy because it's telling birds uh, it's quite dramatic and don't eat me um, because it wouldn't be so good for the birds so that's its defence as a caterpillar and then it makes it goes into that lovely little cocoon the papery cocoon and comes out as the uh, adult and the adult then feeds on that's on that weed there and it'll also feed on and uh, vetches and stuff so um, they need different plants at different times, and then we have um, other insects that help with pollination—butterflies, beetles, wasps, and ants—and um, that okay, you know, will also help with pollination. And then just to see, you know, to look at our landscape and farmland and what has happened um, in the last fifty years, and um, we ha- it has become less flower rich, um, and that has affected our insect populations. So I'm just going to go through. 10 actions here. I've tried to use as many photos as possible um, just so that you can get an idea of what what, uh, we're talking about. And that's to get food, shelter and safety in the landscape. I always say the first thing would be to, you know, get a wee farm map and uh, just see what you have on the farm because you might be surprised um, what, you know, you may think is just a wee rough area um, is probably, you know, very good for biodiversity. So find the best places on your farm, semi-natural habitat, that's maybe a big word, but it's just uh, hedgerows, wetlands, woodlands, uh, individual trees, meadows, pastures, anything like that. And it's keep those wee rough areas um, and uh, maintain them. They may need a bit of help, a bit of restoration. And then the last thing would always be to create, Um, but it's first to maintain what you have. I'm just running through some of the habitats there so you get an idea. Um, there's a lovely hawthorn tree that has um, is existing, fantastic uh, uh, tree, and they make a lovely tree. Um, the middle the photo there, that's a group of cherry trees, lovely wild cherry trees on top of a tillage field. Um, and that wee corner is just lovely for for arsty and pollinators. And then it depends, your hedgerow might be escaped, uh, you know, or any sort of a hedgerow, fantastic for pollinators and, you know, get it in uh, help And if it needs a wee bit of work um, to make it better for pollinators. Um, wouldn't be so much nice semi-natural grassland around, um, but if you have any, and even where you look for, look for, you know, it might be in the corner of a field, um, a verge, um, wonderful if you can maintain that, it'd be a top uh, habitat for pollinators. A wee wetland area, now that's um, maybe just a bit... Uh, that's an old, old drain there that's got wooded and lovely marshmallow marigold growing in it there. But um, you know, any wetland area is also good, essential for pollinators and biodiversity. Non-farmed areas. Um, I just stuck this one in. Uh this uh, uh farmer has um it, the cow tracks in the farm. He's got some thistles growing there. Um so it's not being farmed, the area. And um, he actually named one of them Thistle Lane because it was uh And the the bumblebees on there was a bumblebee on every flower, just fantastic. Then, just to look at hedgerows, how important hedgerows are, and what you're after are thick base and foliage to the ground, tall, uh, continuous without gaps. It's so important that um, they form a network really across your farm, sort of like a highway, um, and that helps, um, it'll help. You know the value to your livestock with hedge, um, shelter, shade, and, and it helps with soil as well. So they're good for good for us and good for pollinators and wildlife. Uh, you could have a hedgerow tree in it. Um, and then margins either side, not cultivated, is also good. It gives that boost to the hedgerow um, and to pollinators and wildlife. I have just gone through some of the weed plants um, if you're out, this is a lovely time of the year now to be looking into the hedge and see what you've got. Um, usually they're mostly hawthorn, whitethorn and blackthorn would be hawthorn would be the dominant species. They're, it's fantastic and makes a great hedge. Um, but blackthorn and willow just coming out now, that's those early, that early food that is fantastic for pollinators. And um, I've put a holly in there. Um, it's always nice to have a mix. Um, this is some of the plants I've just popped up to you know mix in with your hedge. Um, spindle, that's the wee delicate flower of Spindle, you would, mightn't see it, but um, you might notice the little fruit at the end of the year, scarlet, pink and quite, um, you wouldn't think that's a native plant. Uh, so a fantastic wee plant, Elder, Honeysuckle, Gelder, Rose, dog rose. So it's important if you can incorporate these into your hedge as well. Two species that may be overlooked, um, Bramble and Ivy. Um, bramble is fantastic it flowers relatively early and that goes through right to i've still seen them flowering in october even november um and if you watch a patch of elder on a sunny bank uh, a patch of bramble on a sunny bank and um, you hopefully will see bumblebees and they just move from flower to flower An amazing resource as is ivy late in the year and um if you've ever looked closely into um, an ivy flower, um, they're really quite stunning. So two uh, plants that sometimes we try to control around the hedgerow or farm, um, but if you can leave areas, fantastic. Then just in the management, um, A shapes best that to get that nice thick bottom. Um, and if it's an escaped hedge, there's a, this is a wonderful uh, escaped hedge here on, on in the image. Um, and it may be that you you don't cut it because it's so valuable as it is, or you may need to do a wee side trim, um, if you, if that's what you need on the farm. And moving into the pollinator friendly trees, um, again I've mentioned willow again. Um, other wee pollinator friendly trees would be crab apple again, the hawthorn I've mentioned that, um, wild cherry as well, and rowan. And that's just the form that um, the pollinator-friendly trees tend to be a nice form. You know, they're a nice, compact, small tree. Um, There's a hawthorn and the cherry. Willow, now, the different willows, some can be a bit scruffy or whatever, but this willow here has formed a nice, uh, you know, a nice-shaped tree. And um, the round also does, or mountain ash does a lovely, um, upright form. So they're handy to, you know, pop in around the farm. I just mentioned the the, the wildflower areas. Um, if if you have a wildflower area, um, fantastic, and uh, we'd love to hear about it or send us a photo or whatever. Um, but they're they're very they're probably not so common now, um, and it's just the the best habitat for pollinators. Um, we've done a wee leaflet that will be on the website just on celebrating the wonderful um, Ireland's lovely meadows and pastures, so have a a look at that on our website. Um, And then just really allowing wildflowers to go around the farm. We we mentioned this non-farmed area, so that's a win-win for for both of us, maybe, you know, just to have those areas. Um, That's a field margin there on a tillage farm, the first image. And they had been cultivating right up to the edge. They've moved out. They see the value now of moved out. Um, and that farm has stopped using insecticide. And um, so uh, that wetland, the third image there, where you see a bit of a, a, a ditch going through the farm. Um, you can see how wild that is, wild and woolly it is in there. So um, that farm is in particularly trying to get uh, habitat for hoverflies and, and um, other species. And um, So they know to leave those areas um, to let the, you know, the beneficial insects. Uh, and we may look at an area, put that little middle picture in. You might think, what's that? You know, it's not very important. But if you look into that, um, that's got some lovely native plants and that is so valuable. And um, you might want to cut and lift it once a year just to keep it going. Um, the last image there, uh, it was actually a silo. You know how the, the tires um, on the silo, and lo and behold, there's a lesser selling down coming through. You know, so wildflowers pop up everywhere, and um, just to be to be valued. And I've just put a wee image there. That's from some of our resources, just on the different wildflowers, um, that you might just get to see around the farm and to be encouraged, if possible. Then just on the nesting, um, the bumblebees, um they need tussocky grass, um, and the uh, the solitary bees, they go for the cavity, some are cavity nesting, and um, bare, bare soil is for the solitary bees, some of the solitary bees, uh, most of the solitary bees will be bare ground, so that's the type of um, habitat they need. Um, the ERP project has produced this lovely how to create solitary bee nests on your farm, which the farmers have helped to write, so that's a really good resource as well, and um, if you're interested. Just to mention about overwintering and also those hoverflies that I mentioned that are so important. Um, uh, what insects need in the winter? They need um, they need a bit of, um, I would call that, if you call that texture or scruffy, um, so a wee bit of um, habitat there for them to hide away and to protect them in the winter. Um, that photo there with the ivy, there's an old uh, tree trunk in there so that's really valuable as well for um, the hoverflies that use wood as their larva stage and also for any that are overwintering as well. Leaf litter, fantastic. Um, the moths and butterflies have the cocoons and the hoverflies, some of them will be in the leaf litter. Um, so I know on edges of farms you just see leaf litter, just fantastic um, and to be valued really. Um, in your garden as well, maybe not to be so tidy with them with, um, moving the leaves as well, is fantastic. And again, any wee wetland areas um, for the some of the hoverflies that use the, um, the aquatic and use uh, wee ditches or whatever. And another um, action would be to minimise artificial fertiliser and um, since so it got a wee bit of a boost last year with prices, um, but just mind where you're applying um, the fertiliser and um, if you can just move out from the base of the hedge would be fantastic and um, you know just to let those areas not not be enriched and it may damage your hedge um, and then there was more interest i suppose last year in the clover lays and multi-species swords and um, and herbal lays and um, so that we could uh, reduce our inputs um, so that's a win a win-win. <laughs> And then I would just say a wee bit about um, pesticide input. Um, the herbicides, um, <clears throat> I don't I, w- I wouldn't particularly like that look of um, the the wee image there of what herbicides does does to grassland, you know, after you don't see it for a wee while and then um, it just goes brown. And uh, I, I think, do you think people like that. I'm not quite sure why they like it, but, uh, you know, it would have been. Been easier, maybe just. To, I'm not sure why you would. do it, You know, just get the strimmer out, or um, yeah, might take as as much time as uh, getting the knapsack out. Um, so yes, protect the base of hedge again from um the any spray, any spraying, and um any nest sites as well that you can see around your farm. With any nice um sunny soil soil banks or anything um if you could just uh, move away um from tre- treating on any of those again with insecticides um if you can reduce the number and frequency of applications um that would be fantastic and you know the cam days um spray on calm days and use uh, low drift nozzles and again um Bees are most active, bees and pollinators are most active um, in the heat of the day, the middle of the day, so try to avoid that time. And if we can just use less, that would be fantastic. They do have an impact on our pollinating insects and biodiversity. And um, just going back to that tillage farm, and um, they had stopped using insecticide, and um, these are just some of the wonderful natural predators that uh, they had that. Bit you know those areas trying to bring in the natural predators, and this wee wasp in the first one, um, it um, sort of mummifies the aphid. Um, so that's that's a little. I found a little aphid um, that it had. Uh, um, that's it in a, in a mummified state um, from the the brachinoid wasp, um, and then ladybirds as well. They have uh, larvae larva that uh, their larvae munch on aphids. So another one to encourage. And i showed you the hoverfly larva, that's the, in the top image there. And then just below that, um the longer, thinner one, that's a leafwing larva. Um so I did go back and look at this leaf uh maybe four days later, and where they um if it's where it was just a black mush, so they had um done their job and moved on. And um, just nearly when our and just another run nine. Action nine. Um, I mean, traditional orchards were in the past near the farmyard and we would have used them um, for, uh, you know, getting getting crops for the, the home and maybe selling a little. Um, but they're a lovely habitat um, and that those beautiful flowers in the spring, um, that cup-shaped flower is just perfect for bumblebees. Um, so good source of nectar and pollen. And um, then we've got good pollinators around. We will get a good crop. And they're low-intense uh, management, so you can get nice grassland below, and maybe with a hedgerow, some crab apples nearby as well to help pollinate the your apple trees, and um, they would need cross pollinated to get those good crops. So a lovely habitat to have a, have around your farm, um, and just uh, one that you may not think, but the farm garden. It can also be a lovely refuge for pollinators. Um, and you could even have some native plants within it. I mean, the Birchfrit trefoil looks wonderful. Um, I, I would replace it in the rockery any day. And um, so, just what you, you do in your garden is also can be you know, beneficial. Um, and some farms have, you know, you have a wee bit of space more and you've had a nice garden. So, um, even a little wildflower area, even a little, you know, you could do a little meadow area on your lawn. Um, save you time, uh, no no cutting every every week and um, you know just cut and lift at the end as well. And we just direct you to pollinators.ie and our farmland section and um, lots of resources in there and videos and we guides as well um, and we also did seasonal actions that you can take for pollinators on the farm And if you would like to monitor um, any of the pollinator species, this would be your little basic uh, sort of thing that you could do. It's an app that you can download, a flower insect time count, and it will guide you through. And there's information also on the National Biodiversity Data Centre website just on how you can um, do do that count. Um, So if there's a, you know, maybe you want to try uh, monitoring your hawthorn every spring, and that could just, you know, you can see how how well you do. You, just ten, 10 minutes, and you don't have to be an expert. Um, just very basic. Um, so it's a lovely wee way just to see. Well, is the horse doing better this year than last year? So just the encouragement to give, you know, lots of small actions taken together, um, can really help solve um the big problems of our biodiversity loss. And just to thank um. Chagas for their support, especially Catherine, um, has been um, so valuable, and um, the Department of Agriculture then for, for supporting, uh, for, for support. And I'll just finish off, if there's any, let um, contact details and the website again. Um, that's me.
0: Thank you very much, Ruth. Um a really uh, excellent pr- presentation there and and easy to follow and nice to see some 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 a uh, lovely exposition of the, the amazing biodiversity that we have in this country who would believe 31 and different species that we have in this country mm-hmm. it, it really is a reminder of of the, the the wealth that we have in in our countryside um just a reminder to everybody, we have a Q&A tab uh, at the bottom of your screen there. Please do use it. Use it. Um, and I should have told you, Ruth, before we, we started, we have a very informed audience uh, joining us uh, every mo- uh, every Friday morning. And so I can see already the really insightful questions coming through. So do keep them coming. Um, and a special welcome to our audience joining us from across Europe as well. I see we have people from, from Zagreb, Germany, Brussels, and uh uh, all over Ireland, of course, as well. So, uh, it's very, you're you're all very welcome this morning. Just if I could start off, Ruth. I mean, you talked about the um, the endangered species or the threatened, uh, the species that are threatened with extinction. Uh, I think you said one third of our, our bees are, are um, threatened with extinction. How how urgent or how imminent is that uh, an issue for for Ireland?
1: Um. Well that um it is worrying that continual decline you know and they're the some of them are getting more isolated um which is never good you know you want that that they need to be moving around um so um anything that we can do now is is wonderful yeah yeah um, it is that, you know, death by a thousand cuts or whatever, you know, it's just that gradual. So, uh yeah, anything that we can do. And it's just small actions, really. If everyone's doing it across the landscape, that's just so beneficial.
0: And it is. Look, we, we sometimes forget. We we hear about climate crisis, uh, but uh, we are also in a biodiversity crisis that uh, yeah, uh, yes. is sometimes uh, overlooked. Um uh, Catherine a uh, lot of really excellent questions coming through there but maybe maybe could you tell us about your own role there in the the uh, all Ireland uh, pollinator plan and and uh, what what's happening from a Chagas perspective
2: Well I suppose I just represent Chagas on the steering group from the beginning and uh, support Una Dr. Una Fitzpatrick and, and and Jane Stout from Trinity are were the two who who led this initiative and, um, you know, there's a body, a, a group then on the steering group which support them and help them. But of course, Chagas has a huge role in, in in getting the message out to the right people uh, on the farmland side. The all Ireland Pollinator Plan obviously covers lots more than farmland and is extremely valuable there. Because I think the problem we often face in farmland is that people see things being done in tidy towns and by councils. And assume that that's the right thing. So we need farmers for us to progress in farming. We need the general public to understand and the all Island pollinator plans works with all those different groups. So if everybody understands then why the farmer is leaving the the margin, you know, to grow rather than spraying it or, or lawn, having it as a lawn. um, then they understand it's not, you know, a lazy farmer. So I, I've always found that you know farmers do what they think others want them to do. Um, so that's I think the real value of the pollinator plan is the widespreadness of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've seen uh, some photos on Twitter of of uh, the the, uh, the the yellowed grass around uh, along verges, and uh, I've, I've seen other farmers calling it out, in fact, and saying, "Look, this isn't." necessarily the, the way to go so um so it's good to see that level of aware of awareness out there um ruth just uh, before we go to questions you mentioned uh, a a festival of biodiversity that's taking place uh in at the start is it uh, the may um bank holiday weekend is that the month of may the month of oh, the month of may so the, yes. from the first of the 31st of may um have you any details you can share with us at this stage
1: no just keep a look out on social media
0: Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. No, that, that 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 that's maybe something we can look at closer to yes. the date. Um, so, Catherine, uh, questions? Really? extra
2: yeah, Questions lots coming of, through lots there. Of questions, and I suppose the the the, the old chestnut Ruth coming through. Uh, they have been so inspired by the lovely pictures of the meadows you have shown. People want to plant them. So, what planting on farms? Um, can you comment or give our give your recommendations on that planting flowers on farms?
1: Uh, the pollinator plan wouldn't recommend that you plant. Um, we would recommend, you know, a, a low input, and um, so um, just, you know, move back from the area, stop um, putting um, any enrichment in it or any um, pesticides, and uh, cut and lift, um, cut and lift, and just patience, and um, see if it will develop. And uh, it will, do, it will have some plants pop up that farmers may not be so fond of but it's just to give it time and you know let it uh, the enrichment go out of out of it
2: and a related question ruth um sometimes people if they have inherit or or come across those beautiful fields they think we'll put a fence around them and we let them we won't touch them um can you comment on the need for the management yeah you touched on it in your talk that they need um, species-rich yeah. grassland or
1: pasture. Yes. Yeah. Um, if it's good, you got to go look at what what how you've been managing it. You know, because we do have the knowledge, and um, obviously that who the farmer has been has been managing it in the right way. So I would continue that management. Um, if it's cut and lift, um, usually at the end of the season, if the farmer wants to take a hay crop, it's usually um July that that would be cut and lift, um, and then. If it's an area that you want um you know it you know just depends on what what the, what the farmers do um but the later will be more beneficial to pollinators but uh you know we have to work with you know with farmers
2: okay but the, but the key point is that it, it does need to be cut or it will turn into scrub and you lose the flowers is it yes yes yeah and another very good question um not so much on the meadows but maybe on those um areas around the farm at what time should you trim you know the growth on these let's call them margins or something to minimize interference with invertebrates in dormancy you know Um,
1: yeah um well if you're the field margin um a sunny you know a sunny field margin is going to be the best for the feeding pollinators um so you, if we would recommend end of the season, sort of September, cut and lift if that's possible, or um, move the fence back and let it gray, you know, graze off, whatever's handy for their system. And um, then the north, the north side, um, you know, you could leave an area that you're just cutting every every other year, you know, and um, that's where the hibernating insects would would head, you know, the cooler uh, parts of the field margin, um, so that they don't wake up too early in spring. Um, but the, the cutting lift's great on the sunny margin, um, you know, just to let that develop.
2: But I suppose I'm also thinking about, and I think the person is thinking about, you know, farm roadways, as you drive into farm, you'd have laneways, you know, not not part of the field margins, let's say. The general areas, and this would be very relevant to the general public in your garden. Um, but the same message, maybe leave it. You saw that, we saw that beautiful picture of the bumblebee going to nest in the grass, Yes. So some long grass is good, so that's why yeah. you're every second yeah. year, yeah. Okay, that base but, of the
1: hedge is just you know, yeah. it's the business,
2: so that's, really. That's um, and, and if you can come, sorry, but I was just the, the when you yeah. see that grass and the bumblebee looking for it, and you're worried, then have we cut it because we're you know, um, anyway, scruffy
1: corners are great, um, yeah, yeah,
2: so a variety, I suppose. Cutting classic
1: yeah. yeah. grass is the business yeah. as well, and uh, yeah, yeah,
0: we have a question coming through that's. I, I think maybe both of you could comment on. It's one we have quite regularly around the, the uh, commercially available pollinator friendly wildflower seed mixes that often contain unsuitable and non-native species. Um, and what, what's your view on those, uh, on introducing them? Maybe Ruth, if you could start.
1: Um, it's probably not necessary. Uh, so I um, see what you've got, work with, with what you've got. um and, our insects are quite complicated, really. You know, they need um they need our native species, they're adapted to our native species, and they want the food from um, you know, they need it all all year round. They just don't need a big boost of colour in the summer. Um, so it's definitely just to see work what you've got with what you got and a wee bit of patience and see, you know, what what happens.
2: Yeah, and I suppose I'd add to that because I I've, I've I found that so frustrating. It started me doing my weekly um, comments on, on growing wild to value what we have um, yeah. growing yeah. part for our natural biodiversity because the biggest problem I find with the message about planting something is that you're replacing something that is already, we're not valuing what's there. And I suppose that could I ask Ruth another question there about you. Again, we saw some lovely flowery pictures, but can you comment on, um, the value of some of maybe the more ugly looking <laughs> plants um, that are native and that are there. I presume, do all plants um, have a value for inver- in- pollinators or, the, or, yes. or other biodiversity, perhaps? Because I know you're very keen to push that we're Absolutely. not just talking pollinators.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, nature's so in tune, isn't it? uh we can't even understand how complex it is really after all you know uh, all this and everything has a wee niche and um, so some of those caterpillars just feed on certain plants um and i always would push um bramble and ivy which uh you know how it is on the farm that you just want to, you know, clean up that wee corner. Um, but uh, just this season, even if you have a wee bramble area on a sunny day, um, just see how much, you know, how how many pollinators are on it. It's one, I think it's one of the species on the fit count, or you could do your wee fit count, you know, flower insect time count, 10 minutes, just count how many are feeding on it. Um, So, yeah, you might have to clear it in some places and stuff. But, uh, you know, we call it a bramble. In a sunny sunny area, it would just be fantastic for pollinators. And then that ivy later in the season, it's actually critical to our bumblebees. Um, They're just trying to, you know, beef up before they go to sleep for the winter. So um, there's not much in flower, uh, maybe a bit of knackweed, maybe a bit of late vetch. But uh, the ivy, um, just fantastic amount of uh, food for the late pollinators.
2: So all have their value, and yes, uh, yes, a, a, probably a simple question for t- you to answer: Is it possible to buy pollinators, and um, particularly the likes of hoverflies, and introduce them?
1: I wouldn't recommend that at all. Yeah, I, um, you get the habitat right, and they will. They've got wings, especially hoverflies. They um do amazing. Even those little marmalade hoverflies migrate, uh, from Europe, um, when the wind is right. So um no need to introduce and um your your main your main priority is to you know have a wee bit of species you know of flower rich habitat and um the pollinators will
2: move in. Would you have a concern for promoting um forestry on agriculture and marginal land um which could over which could be the the more flower rich existing meadows um
1: well yes um any Area that would be planted, and um, we would have to take care. You know what uh, criteria we're using to where you plant trees. yeah. Um. So yep, some habitats are um. You know, they'd be too valuable. You know, as semi-natural habitat to um plant. So you would just have to take care where you plant. Okay. But there's
0: Mark? a lot of uh, focus. It's just a, a remark or an observation. There, we we focus a lot on the the pollination. Um, function of of these uh species but then you know the often these species are food for for other uh animals up the the, the food chain as well i know uh, uh bats for example you know it, you know yeah, moths okay. are a, a very yeah. important food source for them and and that interconnectedness is yeah. it just uh can't be underestimated yeah
1: um, you get a good healthy insect population, and then that's for the birds, the bats, and then for the <clears throat> the higher species as well. <clears throat> so yes, it's um, it's all it's all connected and linked in. Yeah,
2: Ruth, you had a lovely fact there about the three hundred meters, and somebody's wondering is that the our um, flowers within that okay are is there something about 150 meters? You know, is it the closer the better or
1: there's some TVs, um, um you know, they don't they don't fly far. Um so you just need to make, you know, just if we have um it's sort of continual flower rich areas, you know, not just isolated. Um and there's, you know, there will be variation, but they've sort of given an estimate that they only fly about 300 metres from their nest. Um and if they have to fly further, um research has been done to say, you know, they're not a successful um, you know, it, that, that season, um, as you can imagine, they're they're using more energy to go and get food. So they'll be not able to um, lay as many eggs or have enough of those little pollen baskets that they, you know, they put with the eggs. So it's just stressing them a wee bit more if they have to go further.
2: Can you comment on um, the, the current work, this fencing off watercourses or even dry drains, you know, that may hold water at some stage? Um, that the value, or they are likely to have, um, you know, for for sheltering, for yeah, any values fencing off those areas on as we're doing under acres.
1: Yeah, and um, that's the tussocky areas and um, trees may establish. You know, you might get willow, and um, if it's wet, uh, willow in there. So yes, they, those areas will um, will help uh, pollinating insects and uh, wider biodiversity.
2: And I think and, the question is for the uh, the the uh, nest sites as well could they yes.
1: be useful what's that sorry
2: Catherine they could be could they be useful as nest sites
1: yes sort of the tussock grass the bumblebees um and then you'll get a bit of deadwood in there um I think I get laughed at because I'm very into deadwood but um a lot of our insects need that uh, deadwood as part of their life cycle um so it's never to be too 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 keen on the tidying up of um the deadwood as well and the leaf litter as well um you know and right. very essential really in the landscape
0: question here uh, Ruth around the value of uh furs and bracken uh for biodiversity um how 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 would you rate uh th- those as a uh, for as food for pollinators
1: um the the furs uh yes that has um the the um flowers are long long season you know they come out there's some out now um. Yes, that will supply that will supply um uh, f- food for pollinators. Um. The bracken. Um. Not not so much for pollinators. There is no uh food value in it for pollinators.
2: I would have
0: imagined so. Yeah. And- just just while while we're you mentioned the the that the, the, some of the firs or the, the the gorse uh, flowering. I mean, the, this changing of seasons or earlier budding. Uh. Is that. Is that something the National Biodiversity uh, Data Centre is concerned about or monitoring yes, the impact um, I probably should have mentioned that? That, um,
1: the Farmer's Wildlife ca- Calendar. It's happening now. So if, um, wonderful, if you can put your um, records in of when um, Willow first, uh, I actually don't remember the species, um, but if you go onto the National Biodiversity Farmer's Wildlife ca- Calendar, and the, well, the blackthorn is what will be one of them. And it's just when those things are starting to flower. And um, I think it's on its third or fourth year now. And then we'd be able to build up information on, you know, what changes. Um, and we, yeah, we would be concerned, you know, if those change so much. Um, and when insects come out, uh, you know, just with a bit of, is the term climate chaos, you know, just with a wee bit of change uh, mm-hmm. predicted for the future.
2: Mark, um, I just wanted to follow on from your gorse and your, your, uh, yes. onto on the real baddies. And could Ruth comment on, uh, our invasive alien species? Um, I'm not sure if Rhododendron is good. That's what the question is. But I would further to, because uh, I know Himalayan balsam, the, the bees love it. So what's that conundrum? We have these really baddies in the landscape. Are they good for bees? And are bees <laughs> encouraging them to keep <laughs> pollinating them?
1: Um, well, our stand in on that would be, you know, um, if you can control them and remove them, that would be um uh, more beneficial as a whole to biodiversity uh, in the landscape. Um yes, they may get some food from it, but um they you would call them bullies. <laughs> so they're knocking out our native species, and um they just keep going. Um, so it's good to get them quick, um, you know, not let them get established because it can be, a, you know, so much work to, to control them um, and be careful how you control them. And um, go to uh, the data center invasives uh, section and lots of information on what you can do there. Um, but it's definitely, you know, and there's other impacts they can have. And um, for example, the, um, the balsam, if it's on a, they like the wet, and if it's on a riverbank or whatever. Um, it, it, uh, it's like um it's uh, related to the busy lizzie you know such so as just melts in the winter and that can leave your riverbank exposed you know and cause problems so yeah whereas early vegetation would stay put and nice root structure and keep a nice firm bank so um nip it in the bud I would say anything that's popping up <laughs> that's um uh, on that line
0: just a question for Catherine and, and Ruth, you might want to join in on this one, but it, it, what sort of financial supports are available to farmers for, for creating habitats or um, supporting biodiversity on their farms? We have, I know, the the acres is, yeah, is probably we, the main vehicle for that.
2: With the acres, I mean, at the end of the day, it covers so many farmers and farmland. And uh, again, Ruth might be interested to comment because I'm not sure if she knows the details. I mean, I'd be very familiar with them and I'd be very happy with... Um, the actions in particular, the, the move towards the grass margins, fencing off the margins along hedges. I don't know how popular it will turn out to be. It's I'm a big ad, advocate of it going, following on from what Ruth is saying, but, you know, fencing off the, the margins um, and fencing off the water courses, like just leaving space, leaving space to nature and then managing it, cutting all right. So acres is the big one. Um, Ruth, any other other sources of help for farmers financially? No acres, as um
1: yeah, there's the hedges, the margins, and there's a there was a wee option for traditional orchard. You know, establishing a traditional orchard if Beautiful. Um, you wanted. Um, so yeah, there's um just de- de- definitely to okay. get advice if that would suit your farm.
0: Yeah, and I think the point should be also made that uh, a lot of these measures don't cost a lot of money, and uh,
1: absolutely. You know,
0: mm-hmm. That uh, maybe yeah. it's a case of just, uh, just
1: been a wee bit more
2: aware. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
2: So uh, just uh, the role of beach hedges, not a native. Where does that fit in for for bees? It,
1: that it will not benefit pollinators as much. There is there's no. Um, flower or food, you know, food value there for the pollinator. Um, So, yeah, just those native species um, are are
2: wonderful. Um, There was a question about the design of ponds now, but in general, watercourses and ponds, I suppose they provide a different suite of flowers. So while water isn't necessarily related to pollinators as it would be for mayflies or, you know, other invertebrates, I assume water in in the creation of ponds and that would diversify plant species and be good for bees
1: any comment yeah wetland plants are a fantastic source okay. of food for pollinators and then um, those are 180 hoverflies uh, we haven't really appreciated those as much in the landscape tonight and quite a few of them have aquatic larva stage so yeah water is very important to pollinators
2: yeah are there posters available showing bumblebees and solitary bees
1: um Yes, there are. You can go to our website. Um, there's those two posters that I showed in the presentation. Um, you can download them, or if um, we, I'll be taking some of them around some of the events this year. So have a look out for the pollinator plan at any of the the Chagas events or uh, or the likes or plan championships.
0: Yeah maybe that's something we should consider because I know some people a lot of people have inquired as to where they can get access to the to those posters so yeah maybe we could we could use our our Chagas network to to uh to 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 get some of them out as well maybe that, that could be something we could do um look we're, we're coming close to the end of the, the session and uh, but we just a few few last questions there um that does does you know request uh, for information about the removal of furs there. Is that still required uh, for farmers to remove furs? Um, or is it now recognised as an important pollinator-friendly species? Um, there's been quite a few changes around that whole uh, ineligible spaces on farms. Catherine, maybe you'd like to comment yeah. on that?
2: Yeah, I think the this year the, the, the schemes will, will allow more areas um, on the farm, up to 50% of a parcel, um, which may not be eligible, will me- mean the parcel will be eligible. So that's a huge change. I suppose as I don't know, would Ruth agree, like furs can be good, but I don't know that we want areas, furs can be invasive too and nothing else grow. So while furs are a hedgerow plant and they are native, um, it's a bit like um hazel and burn. We don't want to see too much of anything. Would that be fair, Ruth?
1: Yeah, yeah. um, And just in the wrong place as well, if it's, uh, you know, it can if get, I think that's why it gets out of yeah, you know, out of balance. So yeah, just be careful. Um, and uh, yeah, I need to be kept in check.
0: Okay, great. Well, look, I think we have got through most of the questions this morning. So uh, sincere thanks to everybody who submitted really excellent questions this morning. Ruth, uh, thank you very much for Really excellent presentation. Lots of comments, compliments coming through in the the, the Q and A session as well. Uh, part of this morning. So, and Catherine, thank you very much for your really insightful uh, <clears throat> uh, knowledge with all of these uh, this this area. You've been working this area a long time, so it's uh, it's great to have the, your experience uh, both with the the actual science and, and also the the policy and scheme side of things. It's 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 great to have that uh, that knowledge available to us. Um, just to say uh, thank you to to Vaughn Maher in the background and Andy Boland and Pat Murphy, uh, our, our series uh, coordinators. And next week we'll be joined by Daniel Henn from Solohead Farm, uh, attached to Chagas Moor Park, and he, he'll be daniel will be talking about scenarios exploring the national herd and grassland management targets to achieve climate targets uh, so that's t- uh, next friday morning so uh with that i want to say thanks again to everybody for joining us and uh, we'll see you next friday so enjoy the weekend you've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask signpost series the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in irish farming don't forget to join us live every friday morning for our latest webinar for more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.